All right, guys, welcome back to 2021 Surviving Hollywood. We are finally back. How's it going, guys? I'm Johnny Ray Diaz. Damn, Johnny, back at it again with the white shirt. Hey. My name is Austin Arnold. And I'm Aaron Arnold. And man, we hitting you guys right out of the park with a great guest to start 2021. Johnny. We had a director, writer, uh, producer, Mike Masalam, and also the producer, Seth Howard, of this uh, really awesome film that we all had an opportunity to get a sneak peek on uh, called Breaking Fast. And uh, the movie itself is about a, uh, a gay Muslim guy living in West Hollywood and uh, that goes through a, a bad breakup and essentially kind of dealing with that over this, this time of this year, going through that and uh, sort of finding his identity finding new love while, you know, navigating his culture and his religion. And uh, man, I, I thought it was uh, a unique story I haven't seen before. And uh, I personally really love the film, strongly recommend it. Um, I think they oh, did an amazing job. Out in theaters and on demand January, late January, 2021. So like in a week. Yeah. What'd you guys think of it? Oh man, it was, it was, I thought it was very interesting coming at it through a perspective of I'm not Muslim, I'm not gay, I live in West Hollywood, but I thought it was super an authentic, unique story that was for everybody. It was just cool sort of going into that world and seeing a love story first and foremost through the eyes of somebody who's Muslim, how is he, love, uh, you know, balance that out with being gay. So it was awesome. Yeah, this is a this is a rom com first. So if you like rom coms, you'll you'll like it. I liked it, um, but when you hear things like, at least for me, uh, you know, deals with you know being gay and being Muslim, you think, oh, is this going to be too much of a message? Um, for me personally, I was like, like, it was really enjoyable to watch because it was like uh, funny at sometimes, irreverent but still heartfelt. So definitely a movie that's worth seeing. And throughout our conversation, you'll hear us uh, talking about things we liked in the movie. And then talking about how that came together. So, so this is definitely one you want to watch. I thought it was cool that it wasn't like a coming out story, you know, and they made a big emphasis on that. And it, it really wasn't that it was honestly just a love story, you know, and this is sort of the backdrop of what this guy is dealing with and all on, on everything else. And um, yeah, they did a great job. It was a great conversation. Um, they kind of broke down how it was filming, you know, pre COVID, it was cool to see bars open, right? In West Hollywood, I was like, wow, they definitely shot that before <laughs> all this stuff went down. So, um, but yeah, it was a real treat and uh, I think you guys will enjoy it. Now presenting, Johnny Ray Diaz, ha, yeah, and the Arnold Twins. Hollywood, Hollywood, location in both the uh, short and the feature. We shot in that exact corner both times. Cool. 
I just have to say, we I watched it last night, loved it. I think you guys did a great job. The feature, I did not see the short, but I I thought it was, I thought it was uh, pleasantly unique in terms of the story it was telling, and I think the acting and the production did a great job. For the Thank folks you. at yeah, dude. Uh, for the yeah. folks at home, could you maybe give a uh, synopsis of the film? Yeah. Mike, would you like to? <laughs> no, no, Seth, we agreed. Yeah, so um, Breaking Fast is um, about a gay Muslim man living in West Hollywood who um, finds himself pleasantly surprised uh, whenever he meets um, kind of your stereotypical all-American white guy uh, at a party that he is resistant to go to because uh, Sorry, I should go back. The film takes place during the Muslim holy month of Ramadan, where Muslims fast during the day and uh, are only allowed to eat and drink water at night. So it's a month where Mo, the main character, would normally be indoors for most of the month, but his best friend convinces him to go to a party. It's a year after he's had a really bad breakup. And there he meets this guy who kind of subverts all expectations of what you might think of as a typical... West Hollywood person, and I mean that uh, in uh, generous terms. Um, and they, uh, he surprises him by knowing Arabic, and they go for a, they spend the rest of the night doing a walk and talk through West Hollywood, learning more about each other, becoming more and more surprised by each other and what they have in common, and then continue on to break fast throughout the month of Ramadan and a series of uh, things that become increasingly like dates um, and learn more about each other. What I and, liked about the uh, about the movie, a lot of things, but something that stood out to me was I felt like, I mean, it's one thing to just say these characters are gay or live in West Hollywood or Muslim or whatever, but I actually felt like we were like stepping into the culture of being gay or being an actor uh, or just like living in, in West Hollywood, like a bunch of different cultures and being Muslim. I felt like, you know, that was really done well. I felt like, you know, uh, it seems real. Is that, was that really something important? Yeah, I really appreciate you saying that because for me, I mean, I think any one of the things that you just listed isn't a monolith by any means. And so, so much of making a film like this, so much of life, so much of like the stuff that Seth and I do together is really about the intersectionality of all of those things and how they work together and how they complement and contradict and conflict with one another. So I'm, I'm glad that that resonated with you for sure. Yeah, and I, I, I really, uh, I really love the film too. By the way, um, thank you. It was really, really well done. Honestly, I, uh, what, what I actually kind of connected to as well is actually my best friend is Muslim, and uh, I've broken fast with him before, and it kind of reminded me of all these different things when he was kind of going through that as well during Ramadan, and uh, it was to me, it was like really great to see because what I really liked about it is it just genuinely felt like a love story. And it was sort of the backdrop was the cultural aspects, you know, where they live, where they're from and things like that. But at the end of the day, it just felt like a true love story. What, what was for you specifically, Mike, I guess the inspiration uh, behind the story. Yeah. I mean, I think first of all, I, I mean, in terms of nailing it, you guys are nailing sort of all of the things that we are praying that people will take away from this film. So thank you so much for these generous words and, and these perfect assessments. Um, 
You know, for me, it was really about finding a way of representing uh, a part of not necessarily myself in terms of autobiography, but myself in terms of just what is commonplace, what is norm, what is the norm for like myself in terms of the intersectionality of my queer, my Arab, my Muslim life, and specifically that life here in LA, here in West Hollywood, and like the people that I meet and how I code switch between groups of people and and uh, the 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 simple origin was, uh, and Seth and I met because Seth was producing a show for HBO called Looking, yeah. and the creator of that show, Michael Lannon, um, and I had become friendly, um, and we were talking, and he was asking me like, who best represents you on film and TV, and and in in reality. The simple answer was no one. I mean, you know, you don't really talk about one's faith and one's um, identity in terms of complementing one another. And for me, I've sat in a place of privilege where those two things um, have never been in conflict for myself personally. Um, and, you know, and I, and I never get to see that. I, I only see sort of dark, shameful corners of people of faith expressing their truth and their identity or a complete rejection of their identity because of some cultural assumption within their faith. Um, and so, you know, and the other sort of side of that is that, you know, I grew up learning about love, what love was, how to love, who deserves it from Julia Roberts, from rom-coms of that ilk. And like, you know, I was never the guy in those rom-coms getting the love, you know? Um, so why not put a guy like me or a guy like the people in my circle at the forefront of that love receiving and, and sort of work through the complexities of that? I love it. Yeah. And then that was, it was, that's what I liked about it so much too, was that like you, we saw people that we don't normally see on screen dealing with issues that, um, like you said, like it's normally like the dark side of it. But mm -hmm. then we see this guy who's, his immediate family has accepted him for who he is, you know? Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really cool to start from that place as opposed to the opposite, which is what you usually were, were kind of referring to. Yeah. Um, I thought that was really, I really well done. Thank you. Seth and I were, I think, very clear that this was never going to be a coming out story. You know, it was intentionally slightly older characters, more established people living in an established life and nobody really dealing with what it meant to sort of figure out who you are, but really sit in a place of how who you are is so developed and how that interacts with the rest of the world and how you either learn to break old habits or form new friendships, new relationships, and how you get out of your own way to do that. Mm -hmm. in, in the same way that a lot of um, that, for the most part, a lot of uh, straight stories do as well. So I kind, I kind of grew up um, the only person in my small town who was gay, learned a lot about being gay from these coming out movies, all of which are, are so important. But what I'm drawn to now so much is uh, stories like Tales of the City, Looking, Weekend, which is a big inspiration for both of us. Stories that are kind of post coming out and put gay characters on the same standing as straight characters in cinema because people are now able to like reconcile that we're all dealing with the same issues. Um, all of those coming out movies of the past were so incredibly important in the period in which they existed 
but I think Mike and I are just so excited to help evolve gay stories into a place of um, being on the same footing with straight with straight content. If that makes sense. Sure. Also, could you imagine uh, a, 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 a you know quote unquote straight movie about a straight person deciding they were straight? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I mean, what would that? What would the story of that film yeah. even be? <laughs> Definitely sounds more like a comedy. It's a. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Hey, Dad, I have something to tell you. You know, yeah. it's uh, doesn't really. Uh... <laughs> make that movie. I would watch it. Would I, I just, I, I, I just, I had sex with a bunch of dudes, and it's just for me. It's just not for me, and uh, I think I'm gonna try having sex with a woman. Maybe that's the next project. I don't it's know. The sequel, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, Oops. breaking I, faster. There, <laughs> there we go. I, I am curious though, how um, you know, because this movie itself, um, you know, for for my friend who is Muslim, and I'm very close to his family. I mean, they're like fa family to me. I know, you know, definitely in that community, uh, being gay can be very, very difficult. Um, have you, this film is obviously not quite released yet, but it's coming out. Um, how has it been sort of accepted in the Muslim community? What kind of feedback have you gotten in the gay community? How's that, how's that been for you guys? I'll, I'll let Mike answer more, but there's a film in, I mean, there's a scene in the film that speaks exactly to that dialogue that I think is happening between a lot of Muslim characters and also a lot of people of many different faiths um, where people sit on either side of it and kind of realize it's not really our religion or our faith that's dividing us. It's the people who have interpreted it and acted upon it rightfully or wrongfully that's causing the divide. It's the dinner scene with, um, well, I don't want to spoil it, but there's a really great scene between Mo and his best friend who kind of have different backgrounds. His best friend is definitely from a less accepting background and, and sees the Muslim faith in a different way from his friend. They're on the same page in a lot of ways, but their backgrounds um, speak to the differences that cause a real rift and a real divide. And, and it, that was probably one of the, the hardest scenes, I think, Mike, that you spent the most time on just to get that conversation right because it's such a real conversation. Um, and I think it was really important for us to not pretend that we could write a story with the backdrop of a gay Muslim and not at least explore the privilege that he sits in by not having to deal with what so many queer Muslim folk have to deal with in, in, in just, you know, that's not what this film is about, but it at least, you know, needs to be acknowledged. Exactly. Yes. And I think we, we tried to do that by having a, sort of a triangulation of experiences amongst the gay Muslim characters. And there are specifically three featured in the film who each have a different relationship or a different Venn diagram with their faith and their, um, I, I, and, and, and oftentimes we, we kind of misinterpret faith for culture as Seth was just sort of alluding mm -hmm. to and, 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 their, and their queerness. But I, I mean, I think it's important to say, um, I am absolutely a devout Muslim. I, I f stand so firm in my faith and my relationship with my God. And I think the biggest um, 
the biggest choice when we talk about choices, the biggest choice that I have ever had to make for myself is to not allow external noise to interfere with that direct line between me and my relationship with God. And I think that is the scariest thing for me about this film's existence within the Muslim community is that it's, it sort of circumvents the idea that everything some people are taught or everything that some people are led to believe um, might actually have another side to it, that, that you actually can live within the duality of your queerness and your, um, and, and your faith, devotion to your faith, without the conflict that has sort of been um, thrust upon us for centuries. And, you know, and this is not an educational piece. This film is, is, is a feel good, heart forward rom-com. Um, and I don't, and you know, and that is what it is at its core. Um, but beyond that, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. It's been an interesting exploration for me personally to watch people become so, and I, I will say, you know, more than any other emotion, probably afraid of the idea that you could put the words gay and Muslim together in a sentence. And, and, it, and, it, and it creates a sense of fear within uh, some people more than saying murderer or rapist or any sort of extreme mm -hmm. kind of thing you might wanna disassociate with the purity of your faith. Um, and it's, it's, it's just, it's kind of baffling to me that we have societally got to a place where we can't even hold space for these things working together or being existing together. Um, so I say all of that because we have, we were lucky enough to screen in theaters prior to the shutdown in our festival run. And we have since then and subsequently been super lucky to have a, a pretty robust festival run throughout this year virtually. And the amount of queer Muslim people who have come up to us after screenings or have reached out to us via our website, who have just said, thank you. Thank you for finally letting me be, uh, see myself reflected back. Thank you for making me believe in a world where I can come out to my parents a little easier, you know, just sort of gives me the kind of hope that says like people are hungry for um, hungry, no pun intended, because there's so much food in this film, but like hungry <laughs> for this kind of content where, you know, we can move past the sort of traditional stereotype that we're probably used to seeing within the dichotomy of these two um, identifiers. Right. And, and then you kind of mentioned it too, Seth, there was like that, that dinner scene that you're talking about, which is a really fantastic scene um, where we really get to see, uh, I think Sam is the name of the character, mm -hmm. Sam, to, to see a different side of him that we haven't mm -hmm. seen in the film yet. That was really cool. Um, I love that it wasn't that this is what the movie's about, but they you do touch on it because it is, I think, a sort of a lingering question like, well, I wonder what this, how they're handling this. Yeah. And I think to see those two sides from these two friends, um, I thought was really, really well done. So um, yeah. nice job, nice job. It's something that, that probably has been um, not festering, but that they've had to live with and reconcile in their own relationship. Um, and to see them process it uh, on screen and play out in front of other people um, 
one who Mo cares about and the other who is kind of uh, clueless. Um, like, like he's, he's a stand-in for, I think, a lot of people who might be clueless to, to this, this culture and this content. Um, it was important for us to like watch them process that. Yeah. yeah and Go ahead. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, I, and I would love to um, also dive into how you guys filmed in terms of the budget and the casting and all that stuff. Cause a large majority of our audience is filmmakers. Um, do you mind sharing budget and how you got the locations? And, and were you guys partners? Like, did you have the script written and then you became partners or you guys worked together before? Uh, we met, so I, so Seth, as I mentioned, looking before at, at the time that we met, I, Seth and I were working on the same studio lot and in different capacities mm -hmm. and we met, um, and we're certainly friendly with one another. But, um, after that meeting with Michael that I mentioned, I never really fancied myself a writer and for whatever sort of reason, this script sort of the, the short script sort of poured out of me. And I asked Seth to read it and we met uh, at the, on the lot in the commissary of the lot. And, you know, he decided to come on board and say, let's develop this, let's make this short. Um, and then from there, we just sort of evolved into producing partners together. And you didn't have a lot of writing experience, you said? Zero writing experience. Wow, Seth, like that's a huge uh, leap of faith. <laughs> Well, it was kind of, I was working on the lot um, as an AP in the writer's room on Looking, which was where we were based. And Mike um, was one of the best people. I think he's a fan of the show, a fan of Andrew Haig's Weekend and a fan of Michael. And so he would always be coming by and bringing us treats and ingratiating himself and making fun <laughs> of the writers. And one day he asked if he could send me something just for like advice and... I read it and it was just, it was producible and it was also important. And I was like, I, it just, it evolved from a place of giving producing advice to being like, I want to be on this the whole way, like on board the whole way. Can you say what? I was yeah, just go going to say one, I was going to give Seth a compliment because I think it's important to note as like a creative producer, developing producer, and, and, and he has taught me so much along the way. But like, you know, I was, if I ever was in a point where I was like, I don't understand structure, I don't understand, you know, I, I, to be very, very blunt, the original script was written in like word with like characters names and semicolons <laughs> and like, you know, it's like was so, so, so beyond amateur. Um, and Seth was like, here's a thing called final draft, you know, like, <laughs> um, but the, the point of my story really is that like Seth's main uh, 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 piece of advice was like, write, just write, everything else will make sense later, but just write it. And he was so, um, so savvy to give me the, the, the permission and the freedom to just write the story, knowing that all of the other stuff that was necessary to make it like a producible script would come in the evolution of our co-development. Yeah, I didn't want to get like too hung up on structure or um, like script perfection in the beginning. Um, not to downplay uh, the skill that it takes to structure a story, but I think that can be easily worked in, but the voice and the content and the originality is really what's 
most important and, and Mike had all of that. So it was it was pretty easy to, to work with Mike, <laughs> I would say. And um, was the script totally like pretty much done when you guys began shooting or was it still being punched up? I, I was looking back to see like what the earliest draft was. It, it was, it started off Untitled Gay Muslim Project was the title. Yeah. Um, I forget how many drafts there were. Oh God. <laughs> okay. You know, the, the, again, as a, at the, in the short, as a novice, I was definitely like, not like, oh, let me outline this. You know, it was just like, <laughs> just truly having vomit on pages upon pages. And so like, I, I think the short went from, I, the short must have had at least like 12 versions of it before we got to a shooting script. And then there were still scenes that we shot that in the end didn't end up in the final short. Yeah. But the short for people who haven't seen is basically the first um, maybe 10, 12 minutes of, of the feature. where From the party. From the party, yeah. So yeah. It's, the exact same footage? No, no, no. Yeah, oh. but story-wise, uh, different, different cast, um, different sets, but in the story it was it was Mo kind of a year or reeling from heartbreak after a breakup from a year prior, being convinced by his best friend to come out on the first night of Ramadan to a party, meeting this guy who surprises him, walk and talk, they break fast one time and and then get a Facebook friend request. And that's kind of the button that makes us feel like, oh, there's hope for Mo, like Mo mm. and Cal might be okay, they might continue on. And that was, a tease and it was never intended to to be a tease for a feature that we had in mind um but i think festival audiences saw it as a tease and it really was feedback from audiences that, from the short that convinced mike to to keep going people were like we want to see where these characters go <laughs> totally totally and before we get to austin's thing about um the budget and everything and making the movie, you know, two things that stood out to me, which I wanted, like, maybe, like, maybe this is all Mike, you know, maybe this is something just innate to him. But one we mentioned was the food thing, as if, you know, I was reading like a JK Rowling novel, or like a Tarantino movie, the food thing, that was pretty cool. And also, although like we're dealing with serious subjects, and it is totally uh, reality based, uh, you weren't afraid to be irreverent with some of the comp, <clears throat> with some of the comedy, I felt like just making the jokes kind of like, I guess, you know, irreverent. Uh, you know what I'm talking about, Mike? Is that something I, you did? I love irreverence. I think <laughs> this is probably one creative um, angle where Seth and I probably, uh, you know, part ways. I've never described Mike as irreverent. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I would, I would really love to just write like, fart and shit jokes as much as I can. And Seth is like totally always elevating my sense of humor. Um, but no, I, I really, I, I appreciate that. I love that. I think that you will, if you are a fan of irreverent humor, will very much enjoy our next script, which I am leaning more into that. Uh, probably making Seth lean into his um, discomfort zone a little bit. No, I think um, but I'm getting more on board. Um... Yeah, I think I was uh, a little bit too snobby when it comes to humor. Um, but people have just loved the movie so much. Mike knows what he's doing. Um, and so I support that. <laughs> and talking about the casting, um, I'd love the, the acting in the film was, was, was great. Um, I thought everyone did a, a really a phenomenal job. Um, can you tell us about the casting process? And you, you mentioned in the short, you actually had a different cast. So 
maybe you guys can kind of talk about that a little bit. Yeah, in, in the short, um, the cast and a lot of the crew were kind of pulled together from um, friends and family, people that Mike knew. Um, Mo and Cal were both friends of Mike's from Michigan. Is uh, No, from New York. From New York. Yeah, I, um, I come from the theater scene in New York. So a lot of the, the actors that I work with tend to be theater actors. Um, and they were just so cooperative down for everything. We had a shoestring budget. We shot over four days and a lot of uh, rainy nights. And uh, <laughs> they, they were like fantastic. Um, and we would have loved to bring them the back onto the feature too. We, in the feature, we um, hired a casting director, Tinika Becker, um, who I just can't give a high enough compliments to look her up, work with her. Um, Mo was hard to find, I would say, because um, there aren't a lot of Arab leading men who can pull off drama and comedy. Uh, Mike, you knew Haz, Haz yeah. I think, um, people might recognize him from The Visitor, um, the Tom McCarthy movie. He was also a nurse Jackie um, and has had a lot of other Jack roles. Ryan. But he had a, a part in the short in a scene that was cut as Moe's ex-boyfriend mm. and then ended up in the feature as Moe. <laughs> <laughs> cool. I think it also he is he is uh, a bit of a pioneer in terms of being an advocate for LGBTQ Muslim and Arab um, causes. He himself is an out LGBTQ actor, and I think you know it, it would be hard to have that role. Um, you know, it was important for us to have somebody live in the authentic experience of that role, mm. um, as well as Sam, the best friend. And I think beyond creating opportunities for authentically Arab actors playing authentically Arab roles that are not stereotypical roles, um, you know, it, it, to have also LGBTQ uh, folk in those roles was highly, highly um emotionally satisfying, I think, and, and I think speaks to the end result of the product, you know, nothing felt like, uh, um, nothing felt like people were not living in the skin of these, of the characters. Yeah, everything felt very authentic. Um, I, I thought he did a, a really good job. And we were actually talking about it before we were wondering, um, you know, if he was involved in, in that community and so forth. Um, I, I am curious, the, the family, it felt so authentic as well. Were those people you knew or were those also just actors as well? No, the only person that I knew going into production from the family was um, Mo's aunt, who was the younger, um, the younger sister of his mom with the curly hair. It's a wonderful actress by the name of Lamise Isak, who is again a long time, a longtime friend of mine from New York. But Rula Gardnier, who plays Mo's mom, was uh, somebody who Tinika brought in. Mm -hmm. um, and then the dad and the uncle were actually just day playing extras. Okay. Um, wow. Yeah, and but you know to to your point i mean the the world of the characters felt uh so natural to those actors because we weren't we were putting them in a space that 
where they had sort of come from, where they lived. You know, the ma, Rula, who plays the mom, often was commenting to me how she never gets an opportunity to play comedy, how she mm. never gets an opportunity to not be, um, you know, uh, on the sidelines. Like she loved that she could be assertive and she could be ferociously um, in love with her son and 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 supportive of her son. And you know, I think you know, I think so many of the of the Arab actors were just grateful to be playing things that felt like their lives versus things that felt like they came from some you know stereotypical white lens. Right. Absolutely. I love that text or not that text, but the, uh, the Facebook update status update where she's like, Oh, my son eats alone every night. <laughs> He's like, how did you, how do you know that? Yeah. I thought that was so funny. Uh, that, was, that was hilarious. Um, I want to give you guys a question, true or false. Now the most challenging part of production was the exterior locations. True or false. Seth. Oh, it's so hard. Um, I would say true if it, um, yeah, I don't want to talk badly about any city, but Pasadena is a really hard city to get a permit in. So that was hard too. <laughs> Even though the house was contained, Pasadena itself was tricky. But um, yeah, shooting on the streets of West Hollywood at night on active streets where we didn't have intermittent traffic control or PAs or the right to lock up, um, it was that uh, Sarah Bazzi um, really knows how to talk to locations. She's a producer on the film. And Sarah and I were like that night, we're going to like, um, I'm blanking the names of the clubs, but like Mickey's and being like, can you turn down your volume for, for 10 minutes? And <laughs> uh, wow. Do it, was, it was an experience that I will never forget. And we were also putting ourselves into the scenes as extras to kind of try and like block uh, people from flashing the camera um, or like we were acting as our own crowd control basically. Mm. So, Did the clubs turn down the music for you for 10 minutes? They agreed to um, and didn't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they're like buzz off. Yeah, no problem. You know, we'll take care of it, guys. We'll uh, that, yeah. What such a testament to the producers, and we, uh, you know, I the the film had incredible producers. I was like totally oblivious to all of this. <laughs> I was just working with the actors and and our DP and getting what we needed to get. And and it's incredible too because I mean, frankly, there is not as much ADR in the film as one might think. Mm. The, uh, you know, the audio that we captured is the audio from the day. Yeah. It's, it sounds yeah it sounds really good i mean i i wouldn't have even have even guessed it but that's a good job that's that's how a producer's supposed to work right yeah don't tell the right. director any of the problems you they, just they deal don't. with it yeah I, hey we're, we're good we're good just do your thing and we're doing our thing so and, and, and aside from the like the crowds and the people who were just out inhabiting west hollywood all of our locations were really generous and cooperative we shot at revolver um and the owners and everyone who worked there were, were all so great and so helpful and uh, extended the day whenever we needed them to. Um, every location was just so generous to us. We brought in their own bartenders to be extras. Mm. Yeah, was yeah. Yeah. The and, doorman. Uh, was the, the hospital, at, go ahead. I just say the doorman at um, 
FUBAR with the doorman at FUBAR who was like, yeah, sure, I'll do this. I mean, that's also the beauty of shooting in LA is that, you know, everyone's accustomed to these things and is like willing to be a participant to a certain degree. Everyone's an actor. You know that about be like, I can't be on camera. (laughs) exactly how many headshots did people hand you while you were down there shooting hey by the way i'm also uh uh did was the uh, hospital was that a set i'm assuming was that a revolver or no no it wasn't what's what's the city it was um it was a little further away north ridge some somewhere north in the valley um it was the set of teen wolf Mm. okay that had just that had just got canceled and that standing set was up and those those people who managed it were like you know we're trying to figure out what to do with it next and you can use it you know we we shot at the end of the year uh at the in December of 2018 so you know people were also like going into the new year probably making plans to do things but you know because we were in that sweet spot between uh, Thanksgiving and um, Christmas, where things are pretty quiet in town, we mm-hmm. we were given a lot of leeway. Mm-hmm. How amazing you're able to get it done before COVID, because man, how would you have done all those bar scenes? No, well, yeah. we 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 would not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, back on those bar scenes is also like a fun blast from the past, but it's also just um, it shocks me anytime that I see bar scenes in, in TV and film right now. Yeah, for sure. Um, Instantly it, 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 dates it, it, the movie to pre-COVID. Right? Yes, um, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. so true. <laughs> it's funny, and now, I mean, just tangentially and things that I'm developing, we're like, do we address COVID in this? Is this a post-COVID world, a pre-COVID world? Do we ignore the fact that COVID happened? Right. Uh, it's a question that people are having to ask themselves now, I think. Yeah, because yeah. if you include it, maybe that will also date you in the future. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. And just ignore it. Yeah. Would you uh, would you guys mind sharing the budget or any challenges that arose from there? Yeah, I don't, I don't think we should share. We're, are, are you you're not asking like specific numbers, are you? Just a range, I guess, like oh, around. It's, it's, it's uh, more than a dollar and less than a million. Yeah, I, I was, I was <laughs> thinking right. that. Yeah. Um, made up of like uh, several, several investors. We we fundraised a lot. We were fiscally sponsored uh, by the Film Collaborative. We had a lot of fundraising events where we invited friends and family. Um, And in the end, um, the investor, like the major investor, I would say 75% came from someone that we met overseas during the film festival run for the short. Um, And the rest was kind of made up of smaller friends and family donors. Yeah, so that's what I was gonna. I was curious as well because we, we have we have a lot of filmmakers and funding your project always seems like to be a big question. Um, but yeah, so it was. It sounds like the short was like a big sort of proof of concept, right, for what it yeah. could potentially be. Totally. Yeah. I should also credit um, Inside Out, the Gay and Lesbian Festival at the Toronto Film Festival. Um, our short played at Inside Out, and then they invited us to be part of their first year of their film finance forum. So we took a pitch deck and a feature script for Breaking Fast there and met, like there were just a bunch of round tables that the festival set us up with. And that was kind of a part of the, like the start of the momentum. Um, No money came out of it, but a lot of experience pitching to people and what questions people would ask. That was like a good learning experience that helped us eventually secure investors. 
And certainly getting the film on like some really good radars, you know, and able to sort of navigate, you know, keeping people to track your film. I think, Seth, I think it's also worth mentioning, you know, I think especially as first time filmmakers, um, monies that we just weren't anticipating specifically, like once we, you know, once you sell a film or once you get distribution, like the cost to deliver the film to the distributor, like, I think there were some, some specific line items that I, I don't think we even knew going in. Yeah, I mean, we had a budget for the film that essentially was our festival version. Um, I think like the biggest discrepancy was was music. We had a lot of um, big music, big ticket music items. I noticed that. And yeah, I heard that too. And I was like, oh, that must have cost a lot. <laughs> and our, our uh, post-producer, Dava Michaels, um, he's a post-producer on a lot of shows on, on Girls, on... Uh, Forget what it's on now. Um, Sharp Objects, Big Little Eyes. So he had Very. a lot of experience dealing with music licensors um, and was able to cut us a lot of really generous one year festival only licenses mm. that then changed once we went to distribution, had to get them all in perpetuity. Um, trying to think of any other big differences. So yeah, once once you like get a distributor, they'll they'll give you a list of a lot of deliverables that you haven't even thought of because you haven't needed them for festivals. Um, things to help you localize the movie to other language territories. Um, Do you ever think like like maybe we should switch these songs if we have to buy them in perpetuity? Like, did that come up? We did, yeah. So we yeah. In the distribution version, we. Um, we switched quite a bit. We used a good music library called Extreme Music Library, and we brought on a professional uh, music clearance specialist to help us. Uh, but it still really was, I would say, driven primarily by Mike's taste, both the festival version and the and the the distribution version. Mike's musical taste. And I and and oddly, like losing some of the bigger choices um in the in the festival version and and watching back the what will be the wide release version i think there were some things that brought the film sort of made the film even tighter and like more um uh just sort of cohesive so i you know i'm i'm i was sad to lose some of those like more recognizable tunes but also think for the purposes of making a complete film we actually like found things i don't think we would have otherwise thought to mm -hmm. and i think we'll approach music differently in our next feature um thinking yeah. more about the long-term costs and also the cost versus emotional impact of a song and right. what you can accomplish with something that isn't as well known. And there's a great song that we found when we were replacing the music that ended up in the in the trailer and is also like a key emotional moment in the movie that wasn't in the festival version. Mm. Um, do you remember the name of it, Mike? <laughs> yeah, uh, ch uh, I was gonna say Chasing the Sun, but that's not that's not right. Um, Run with the Sun. Run with the Sun. Run with the Sun. Mm -hmm. And and also like we, you know, I have um, I, I had a, a wonderful musician friend of mine named Maddie Wyatt, who has a band named Wyatt, create a song for the feature. I'm sorry for the short, mm -hmm. and like you know, we we had owned the rights to that song, and and every all the producers still sing it, and so we then 
sort of worked with her and our composer on the film to create like a really cool remix of that song that now is the book is the is the end credits of the feature and so you know there's there's just nods to these this this homemadeness of the film mm -hmm. that sort of makes it you know really a labor of love in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that Seth and I were recently talking about was maybe partnering early on with um, a musician or a band for the next one to sort of create specific music for um, for that script and then sort of highlight that artist and then just have that in perpetuity and and just as a new model of trying to find um, the 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 musicality and the and the score of a of a film. Yeah, make it a little easier. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, talking about uh, you guys kind of mentioned distribution because that is something that we are often talk about too. Um, can you talk a little bit about your process for distribution for this film? Um, did you already have that lined up before you even started shooting? Did you when you sold the film? Can you kind of talk a little bit about that? How that came yeah. to be? And we we <clears throat> we tried. We definitely explored uh, the idea of pre-selling distribution rights as in order to raise money to finance the movie. That was what a lot of companies at the Inside Out Film Finance Forum do. But with a, a cast like ours that um, are all great actors, but not internationally known, pre-selling wasn't an option. So we, we didn't really have a distributor or any. Uh, we were just kind of living on a hope and a dream that it would get picked <laughs> up as we were spending this money. <laughs> um, <laughs> We, but our, uh, we had a great production council team, uh, Noor Ahmed from Ryder and Fig at the time, um, who also acted as our sales agent domestically. So at the beginning of the festival run last March, he was sending the film out to distributors and soliciting offers and uh, kind of helped us navigate that. Um, I think we had like three or four offers and went with Vertical Entertainment. Uh, we, we met with all of them and we're like, they're, they're such a great chemistry fit. Mm. Um, they do a lot of films that are not specifically gay and we want this movie to reach and be marketed to a wide audience that's not specifically gay. We thought they're the, the perfect people to do it. Um, and they'd also committed to releasing the film in, is it 15 or 10? And I think it was up to 10, 15 to 10. Yeah, cities theatrically. And oh, amazing. that was something that we, I don't think that we ever uh, had, amb had ambitions. We were like, this this will live on a streamer or it'll right. be in small small places. But when they, they just showed us that they believed in the power of the movie to put it into uh, cities theatrically. We were really excited about that. How has that evolved now with, with COVID and all these closures? I know that's obviously been a, I mean, a horrible thing for everybody, especially yeah. the filmmakers and stuff. Um, how are you guys kind of handling all that? Yeah, unfortunately that theatrical run isn't happening prior to the release or at the release, but they have committed to sort of thinking about ways in which drive-ins or other um, other sort of ways of getting the movie out there. Uh, drive-in would be good. Work. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, we played a couple drive-ins in our festival run and they were so fun. Outfest did an awesome drive-in experience, um, but there were festivals sort of around the country and, and we attended a couple of them that were so, so nice. Mm -hmm. There's one in Palm Springs that we went to that was fun. Yeah. Oh, nice. cool. There's and that one in, in Hollywood now, Arena Cine Lounge. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen, I went to that drive-in 
I don't know, like a month ago to see Black Bear. Um, really cool, actually. And it's right in the middle Where of Hollywood. Where is that? It's in Hollywood. It's off of Sunset and uh, I can't remember the cross streets. Oh. Um, but it's like a, it's a small drive-in, but I mean, it's still really cool. You can actually watch movies there, so. Oh, fun. Yeah. We should yeah. Tef- definitely go. I love a drive-in. What a fun experience. Guys, tonight? <laughs> should we all? <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be a blast. I'm always down. What's Black Bear? Should we go see that? Uh, Black Bear is, uh, I love, I really love the movie. It's starring Aubrey Plaza. Actually, uh, mm-hmm. we interviewed the producer, Rick Bosner, um, okay. on the pod and, uh, he produced the film and it's a very weird indie film. It played at Sundance, I think this past in 2020. This is, uh, this is also the producer of uh, fruit, Fruitville station, which is oh, kind of yeah. put him on the map. So it's like, it's, it's yeah. pretty good. Oh yeah. Phenomenal so, film. He was telling us about the movie and it's like really hard to explain what the movie's about. You just have to go watch it because it's very unusual. It's very I kind of will watch anything she's in. She's hilarious. Yeah. Sure. And this is this is like a different role for her. Like it's super dark and dramatic, but mm. also a little bit. It's just it's it yeah. was I thought it was really well done. So it's like yeah. her Aquafina breakout. There you go. Uh, nice. There you go. <laughs> um, in our final five minutes, I would love to hear what where can our audience find uh your film now or is there anything in the future that you guys are handling for um the the film breaking fast and then next projects that you were mentioning um well so our film comes out january 22nd 2021 in the us um our website is breakingfastfilm.com um and it'll be available on iTunes, Amazon for purchase or rental, to uh, be. Um, there's a list of anywhere where you can like buy or rent rent a movie, like on, like iTunes. Um, and I don't know how long that window will last before it moves on to streamers. But January 22nd, look for it on iTunes. Um, and once we get uh, links uh, to to do that, we'll put them on our website. And you can also pre-order the DVD on our website too, <laughs> through, through Wolf. Nice. Perfect. I recommend it. Even if you're the broiest straight guy there is, you'll still enjoy the movie. <laughs> and if you are the broiest straight guy there is, we, we are excited to share our next film with you called <laughs> Untitled Chubby Muslim Project. Which, uh, All right. It's set in uh, on a college campus in the late 90s and is, uh, is everything uh, you want uh, Chubby Muslim to go through if he were living in American Pie. Oh man. Oh, that sounds, awesome. that sounds like a lot of fun, especially the 90s. Oh man. Yeah. yeah. American Pie is so good, so classic. American Pie usually puts the you know Indian or Indian American character as the sidekick with the accent. Nah, and this mother. <laughs> uh, can our audience find you on any social media platforms or follow for the film? Yeah, um, I think our Instagram handle is at Breaking Fast Film. Uh, we're on Facebook, Breaking Fast Film. Um, my Instagram handle is s e t h u r nine eight seven. Mike is not on Instagram. Yeah, but I'm on Twitter at Mike Masalam. But also, Mike has a company, Mike Masalam Productions, um, and uh, they're on Instagram and Facebook as well. And is it watch MMP? Watch MMP. Awesome. The last thing I just wanted to mention, real real quick, Seth. um, I'm a I'm a fan of uh, Raúl Castillo, who is on Looking. 
Yeah, I had an opportunity to work with him on a pilot a couple of years ago. Um, big fan of his work. Oh, amazing. Um, yeah, so it's, will, it's cool that text, he was on there. I'll text him that we talked today. I don't know if you. I don't know if you even remember me because it was so long ago. But um, I've seen like some of the movies he's been in after, and I'm like, man, this, this guy's yeah. great. So we the animals. Hey, Johnny. Yeah, we the animals was for, awesome. For very different reasons, I'm a big fan as well. <laughs> <laughs> You can text him that too, Seth. So, <laughs> hey, you know, you go. Oh, he knows. <laughs> uh, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's such a great guy. He's a great actor. Um, I think he was in the, he was actually in Michael Lannan's short film uh, that HBO bought the rights to that eventually developed into Looking. Mm. Oh, that's uh, really, that's awesome. He like originated his character in the short and then went on to play him in the series Looking. Oh, I didn't know so that. That's really yeah. cool. That's really yeah. cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, guys, for your time. I really appreciate it. Again, congratulations on an amazing film. Um, you know, thank obviously we've seen it, but hopefully we'll, we'll definitely share it so other people can view it and, and enjoy it as well. And um, can't yeah. thank you enough for having us. So it's such a fun conversation. Yeah, Dude, it was great. Come back for Untitled Chubby Muslim. <laughs> God willing. God willing. Uh, yeah. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. Boom. Perfect. Perfect. Oh, that was wonderful, guys. We really thank you guys so much. So appreciate fun. your time. Yeah, you guys were you guys were amazing and really uh definitely a kudos on the film. I I really enjoyed it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So for all of your thoughts and feedback. This is like it's so encouraging uh, for anytime we hear like real feedback from people who haven't known the movie from the beginning, which is the majority of Mike and my circle. So it's <laughs> uh it's lovely to hear from yeah. And, and like not, I mean, like, you know, we set out to make a pretty universal story and, and it's not a, a movie that you guys might jump to see. And the fact that you resonated with it means a lot to us, you know? Yeah, truly. I mean, Thank I'm not you. just saying that it did resonate. It was legit good, even if you're not directly those backgrounds or whatever. Appreciate yeah. it. Thank you definitely, so much. Definitely connected to it. So uh, look forward to seeing, you know, what you guys do in the future. And uh, yeah, hopefully. Uh, hopefully we all work together soon. Absolutely. It's, it sucks it. that COVID's going on because, man, these festivals, you know, it's just know. a rough time. But, you know, we have uh, two projects in post and we were debating that we, we finished it during this lockdown. And we're like, should we submit it to film festivals or wait two months and see mm -hmm. if because we like the networking aspect of these festivals the best. Yeah. Connecting yeah. with filmmakers like yourselves, you know, that's the yeah. best part is having conversations like these, you know, yeah. so. A lot of the virtual festivals, they try to do like Zoom roundtables or Zoom networking, but it's it's not the same as going for a drink at a bar and for screening. Um, what are your are your project shorts or features? Um, shorts. And either way, I would I would recommend if you don't know them, you, you must know them. The Film Collaborative. They, uh, in addition to like helping fiscally sponsor films, they represent films on the festival circuit, and they dealt with a lot of uh, the later like submitting our film to festival and soliciting festival fees and they're great people to know yeah I'm collaborative really. okay yeah i'll definitely yeah. check it out i'm not familiar with them um but, but i can't i can't wait to check out your work I, I let us know where we can see your stuff yeah yeah <laughs> we'll have to send it to you uh we definitely do like uh like more dark comedy stuff um, Interesting. I'm into that. Yeah. Yeah. So, right. uh, I know Mike will be into it. I don't know about. <laughs> no, just kidding. Not, no, not a lot of fart jokes and stuff, but you know, right. we got we got to slip those no, in there, Mike. One, sex one, jokes. Hey, There's sex jokes. Yeah. Settle the debate. Coming to America, one of the greatest American comedies ever, or rubbish? No, it's great. I think it's great. 
I don't know about the the new one that they're doing. No, no, no. We're talking about 83. 83. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, mean, I think that movie's great. It's classic. classic. It's it's yeah. uh, light, lightning Set, in a bottle. You have right. to watch it. I'll 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 re I'll rewatch it. Yeah. Uh, but by the way, Seth, um, how do you know Christine? Or are you guys? Are uh, you guys so yeah. so I was a um, office PA on Boardwalk Empire. Oh, awesome! And uh, Christy was um, a writer's assistant who then went on to become a co-producer level writer, and she promoted me to being the script coordinator on that show, and then kind of helped me learn everything I know about a writer's room, organizing a writer's room, managing writers developing notes in that whole process. So she's kind of a mentor of mine. Nice. That's she, awesome. Yeah, I to say hi. I, I told her yesterday that we were talking. Oh yeah. Yeah. Christine, she's amazing. So um, yeah, she's been, she's been really, uh, really great, honestly. So um, I'm glad she introduced us and uh, hopefully one day we get to meet in person. Maybe we'll get a drink or something when this, when the world is normal. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> so, but, uh, but yeah, thanks a lot, guys. I really appreciate Thank it. Thank you. And, uh, we'll stay in touch. Thank you all so much. Really appreciate your time. Appreciate, appreciate you, Mike. Guys. Appreciate you. Thanks, guys. Thank Good you luck, guys. Thanks, guys.